We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor at SportingNews.com, joined, as always, by our lead college football writer, Bill Bender, at, at SportingNews.com. Thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and for those of you watching on our YouTube channel at CFB Nation, if you have time to leave a review on Apple, that'd be great. If you have time to leave some comments and a like on the YouTube channel, that would be great. Thank you to Irish Breakdown, your source for Notre Dame football information. They have a tremendous lineup of podcasts and great stories at irishbreakdown.com. This is our second episode of the week. Usually in the offseason, we've been doing one. But Bill, today we have Jim Caval with us, the founder and CEO of Influencer. Uh, Jim's an, an expert in the NIL space before there even was an NIL space. But Jim, before we get started... Okay, I looked up your background a little bit. You got a you got a college baseball background, all right, and you've also got a, a fitness center background, or you you owned a, a franchise of, of fitness centers. Um, we are less than a week from the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, <laughs> all right. You got I'm thinking you're college baseball. You're a pro hot dog guy, but you're a fitness guy. That might be an anti hot dog guy. I got to know where do you come down on the on the on the hot dog eating contest. Oh, I, I, I love eating hot dogs and uh, I'm a baseball <laughs> guy. I can't say no to a hot dog. That's right. So I, I ate 14 at Diamond Dog Night a couple years ago. <laughs> it was not smart. It was really not a wise move. Um, but you were proud of that number at the time, I'm guessing. Yes. I mean, you know, for my size, weight class, I always joke with the guys in the press box that I can get the three faster than anybody. And then after that, we'll see. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, but, you know, let's get back on track here. Um, <laughs> Jim, we, you know, you and I talked a couple years ago. We talked before we came on. It seems like yesterday, but we've had two years of this now. And, you know, maybe tell our listeners a little bit what your part, what your role in this NIL space is, because I think sometimes people just see NIL and they have preconceived notions about what it means, what it does, who plays a role in it. Well, like Bill said, I, I come from the college athletics background. I played college sports uh, from New York originally and left home, went a thousand miles away down to Alabama to play college baseball in a much warmer climate and uh, with much, much better players as well. And uh, when I when I got out of college, I, I started my first business in recruiting and built that for five years, helping college coaches and high school athletes connect. I sold it, started a fitness business, as Bill mentioned with 50 gyms or so, uh, 47 to be exact, that we built across the country. And Greg Sankey was a member at one of my locations in Birmingham. Of course, the SEC is based here in Birmingham, where I am also based. And uh, Greg and I were both from Syracuse, New York. We both ended up in Birmingham. I like to joke that we're, uh, we're in the witness protection program. And uh, we, when we met, I started to hear about the O'Bannon case from Greg. And this is before the O'Bannon case was even decided. And so I started to study it on my own. And my thesis after a couple of years of watching the decision, I know, and where it could go was this is going to happen. This name, image, and likeness thing is not a matter of if, but when. And when it does happen, there's going to be a lot of problems. So I built Influencer after I I sold Iron Tribe Fitness to my partner. Uh, He bought me out. I started building Influencer. I launched it in 2017. NIL hadn't started yet, but social media was a big problem for college athletes, especially college football athletes. They had this social account that they had to now manage and be responsible with. And so Influencer launches a software company, Schools Pay, to deliver content to athletes so they can then share it to their Instagram, their Twitter, their their Facebook, Snapchat. The content comes from the media or the school, but we deliver it. And so we got a critical mass very fast of schools buying our product. And it put us in a position in 2021 to build more software. And so now we are the system that schools use to help athletes be found, contracted with, and paid all through that same influencer app they've already been using to get their pictures and videos. So if a collective, a brand, a fan wants to pay an athlete, they usually use influencer software to do that contract and pay that athlete. We've processed more than $100 million of NIL activity in the first couple of years through our technology, but all our money comes from the schools. That's who we contract with. We have 230 Division I schools under five-year deals and we become basically the back office for NIL. 
So how has your job changed from before July 1st and it, it started uh, become official and after July 1st when it, it, it has been has been rolling for two years? Well, you know, being in a position where we work for the school, um, but yet we serve the athlete in an industry where all the schools and the businesses say they're here to maximize the potential of the athlete. Um, it's been really interesting because the school hasn't been allowed to be very involved. And that's not by their own accord. This all goes back to the passivity of the NCAA, right? 2019, California passes its bill for NIL. The NCAA does what? They do nothing. They could have sued the state of California. They let it go. A couple years later, not even a couple years later, one year later, 2020, middle of the pandemic, the NCAA releases its recommendations for NIL rules that they said were going to be voted in in early 2021 before NIL began. And those recommendations were big on schools cannot be involved at all in any of the facilitation or happenings with NIL deals. The NCAA never ended up setting its rules because of the Alston case and their feelings of risk around uh, setting rules and antitrust and all that. And so instead, we had states and schools setting their own rules, and we had big gaps that allowed collectives to emerge and be really who make up most of the NIL activity. And our system collectives make up more than 76% of the NIL payments that go to our athlete users. We have more than 100,000 athlete users. So that's where we are. And that's why you saw yesterday, Texas is, is, is about to launch a new bill in five days. And the NCAA came out with a memo that says what you're doing in Texas with your state law and what other states have followed in suit doing with their state laws is actually not going to be allowed. But that memo is reactive instead of being proactive to what's going on. Those schools, Texas A&M, Ross Bjork, they're just trying to be proactive in an industry that is extremely reactive right now. And they're trying to be proactive not to cheat, but to help athletes have support on campus because they need it to look at contracts. They need it to fulfill deals they've signed. And they also need to align the dollars because they all come from the same place. The dollars are coming from three groups of people, donors, brands, and fans. And they've been spending money with schools for decades, which is how this industry became a $19 billion annual industry. Now those folks want to learn how to work with athletes and to think that they have to do it separate from the school and have now a place they give outside of the school, but also a place inside of the school is, is not aligned and it's not going to work. So the schools are trying to create alignment and do it all in one place. And there's pain in that struggle right now. So that's, that's what's going on. And it's, it's really, really unfortunate for the athletes because it's very confusing for them. And they spin around in circles, really knowing what's what and if what they're doing is even allowed or legal. Well, Jim, so Brian Kelly and Nick Saban have been among those heavy hitter coaches that are calling for federal regulations of NIL and immediate, I believe Brian Kelly used the phrase, college athlete athletics is at a crossroads as it is if it isn't fixed. So again, you know, the average college football fan may read that with a blank stare and say, well, I trust what the coaches are saying. Is that What are the misconceptions with that? And when you hear federal regulation, what does that mean to you? Well, it's kind of ironic, the whole thing, right? Because like when Nick Saban was hired, he was getting paid $4 million a year, eight-year deal. That was like revolutionary money, right? And all of a sudden, since then, not only has the SEC dominated college football and changed the whole scope with conference realignment, 
But every school is trying to win press conferences with their coach hires instead of win games. And coaches sometimes last only two years before they're let go, but yet they have huge buyouts. The salaries have risen. The buyouts have risen. Over half a billion in buyouts being owed right now. And, and so when you look at the total revenue, $126 million annual revenue going to Power 5 schools, 41% is going to coaches and staff. And 11% is going to student-athletes via tuition. And that's taking center stage right now in the Johnson versus NCAA Supreme Court case. And so I bring that up with the, the preface that it's ironic because coaches are feeling the most pain right now. They're feeling pain in recruiting and, and who's saying what, is it real or is it not real? And they have FOMO. And when they're not getting athletes, they're worried about, they're, they're chalking it up to be NIL and everything else. But a lot of this came from the coach industry growing into what it's become. The portal came from that. NIL came from that. And so um, I think we have to at least state that before I even answer your question. That's an important, we have to remember where we came from here in the past two decades. Uh, Alabama, remember where Alabama football was in 2002? <laughs> it wasn't in the same place right. it's in right now. Remember where the SEC was? I mean, Auburn couldn't even get in the national championship game in 04 with an undefeated record. Things have changed and this thing has boomed and the coaches are making the most money. So with that, they're calling for federal legislation. But the reality is, is a federal bill isn't going to eliminate collectives. Influential donors and dollars are still going to find a way to use an entity separate from the school to influence and attract athletes. You can't mandate that all of the data is public because it's not salaries. Sure, when you're looking at a bottom line, you see Aaron Rodgers rejected this deal to take this deal. Here's what they were worth. Here's where he's going. And then in the same very bottom line on ESPN, you see that transfer X from this school left to go to this school, but you hear no data. And people want data to be in that bottom line, but it's NIL. And FERPA protects that information. We don't know what Aaron Rodgers makes from his State Farm deal. We only know what Aaron Rodgers makes from his contract with the team. And so we've got to understand that, that these desires are really coming from the fact that the schools are not paying football players directly, which would allow us to have transparent data, which would allow us to have a collective bargaining agreement, which would allow us to prevent tampering, which would make coaches have less headaches. And so that's really the only way to solve a federal bill for NIL. You think the federal government and Congress is going to give uh, the NCAA the same antitrust protection that Wendell Holmes gave the MLB in 29? Heck no. They ain't going to give them that. And unless they get that, it's going to be tough for the NCAA to even stay around. Because like Kavanaugh said, and we hit the gavel on the Alston case, I question why this organization will continue to exist. Because they're a governing organization that can't set rules. So, I mean, that's just, these are all things that I, don't, I think people overlook about where we're at and what will really solve it. What, Jim, interested on your reaction to the Jaden Rashada episode at Florida? That gave NIL... A black eye. Uh, it was unfortunate for the school. It was unfortunate for the collective. It was unfortunate for the athlete. Um, it was just kind of an ugly episode all around. You're inside the, the the industry way more than we are. Give me your reaction and and you know your thoughts of of kind of how it developed and now moving forward. Were there any? I mean, there were certainly lessons learned, but um, how will those lessons be put into practice? Well, first of all, collectives as a whole are doing some great work. 
Uh, not all of them are using just donor money. A lot of them are learning that they need to replace the donor money with brand and fan dollars that are more sustainable over time. Um, so I want to say that. Another thing is a lot of collectives do really good deals with athletes and give them predictable revenue on a monthly retainer. And um, the return, the athlete has to you know, do some things to promote certain companies and, and make certain appearances. Um, but there, there are a lot of collectives that, that aren't operating. And the fact that we don't have a registration and certification system for collectives to operate at a certain standard with a certain level of contract for the athlete's sake is an issue. And uh, just like it's an issue, we don't have agent registrations. The big agencies aren't playing much in NIL. A lot of fans think, oh, this has to be great for all the agents, the CAAs and the Octagons. Not really. They can barely work with more than a handful of athletes because there's no guarantee they sign that athlete as a pro. And that's what their whole business is based off of, representing them as a pro on the field. So to represent an athlete for three years as a college football player and then lose him right before the draft is a big risk, let alone the fact that they might represent him for three years and the athlete doesn't pan out and they wasted their time because they're not even going to play at the pro level. So what's that done? Create a gap for a lot of bad actors and new agents to come in and do things to take advantage of athletes. So these collectives and these agents that are not operating in a certain standard present a really big risk to the athlete. And when the Rashada case happened, a lot of people said, this is why we need a federal bill. Once again, a federal bill isn't going to stop the Rashada situation from happening. What happened is Rashada signed a letter of intent, his NLI, with Florida because he believed he could do an NIL deal with their Gator Collective to a 13.85 million dollar tune and so that influenced him to sign his nli but then they reneged after he signed his nli and he went back to the school and said i want out they didn't let him out and then eventually they did he went to the press and the problem in that situation with all due respect is rashada didn't have the education i don't know what 17 or 18 year old would to ask the right questions push the collective on the contract understand the difference between his NLI and his NIL. It's already confusing that they're the same letters just jumbled around. I mean, like, that's the problem. He's not being protected. And, of course, it's also against the rules that there was even a conversation before he signed because you're not supposed to be able to use NIL to induce, which is a whole other story. But that's what we have to get to. We have to start to think about how to help the athletes protect themselves and do it by protecting them so they can work with great collectives and great agents and great brands. But the ones who are bad actors and might be taking advantage of them are going to be held accountable. So you think it could happen again? I think it is happening again. I know a case right now where a young student athlete left his school because he was offered almost three times as much as he was making at that school. He left and he didn't want to. His girlfriend was still there. He loved where he lived. He loved his teammates. He loved his coaches. But his parents advised him to do that because he'll probably make not make that much money the rest of his career. And he's probably not going to be a pro, could be. And he just had to take it. But then he went to that new school and some of the situation has changed. And so now he's changed his whole geography and he doesn't know the personnel as much on the team. He's got to start from scratch just because of a deal that isn't going to fully happen. I think that's happening a lot right now. So you brought this up earlier, and, and you and I talked about this two years ago because it was one of those uncomfortable parts of the Pandora's boxes. With the 12-team playoff coming, the money that's coming from that, with college football increasingly looking like the NFL, what percentage chance do you give 
that eventually the students are paid by the university or will they consider making them employees of the university or is that not feasible in this in this landscape? So there's nobody, uh, I, I start every answer with a disclaimer, I feel like, but I'll do it again. There's nobody that's more uh, for the athlete, athlete empowerment than us, I mean, than me. We don't take a dollar from any athlete deal. The only place we make money is from the school paying us for our software. Um, you know, I'm always trying to make the situation for the athlete better. You heard my last answer about Rashada and having accountability for collectives, agents, and brands. But uh, if I'm honest, as an athlete advocate, college athletes as a whole have it really, really, really good right now. Not only do they have a scholarship, not only do they have great facilities, not only do they have a cost of attendance check that they now get, an educator-related benefits check that they now get, and NIL, um, but they also... Um, have the transformation committee's recommendations to have better medical coverage, which we'll hopefully see, to have more resources on campus for things like mental health and career and life skills and NIL, which we'll hopefully see. And as long as those problems are addressed, I think the vast majority, 99% of student athletes have it really great right now. But there's a small group of student athletes that go to 30 or so schools that already operate like pro football teams that pay their coaches and staff that way and are not being compensated from the team and instead are being compensated from the side, from a collective to make up for that. And that situation is really what we're talking about. That's the problem. It's, it's, it's not a problem at UAB right down the street who, Hey, coach Dilford, I'm excited for him. Now for 12 team playoff, he might be able to win the American Conference and take them there and make everybody in Tuscaloosa and Auburn blush, and that would be awesome. But what I'm talking about is big-time college football teams producing up towards $200 million for their athletic department in annual revenue, and only 11% is going to the athletes. You know, D. Smith, if he was sitting here, who's been running the NFLPA for 14 years, would say, uh, he has said to me, if it was 0% going to the athletes, it'd be slavery. If it was 50%, It'd be what we have in the NFL because 50% of gross revenue goes to payroll for the athletes. 11% is like indentured servitude. And that's why we're here. Like it's, it's about football and people get scared about talking about that because of title nine, but did football players sign up to pay for all the other sports? So, you know, I I think we just got to look at this a little bit closer because we're really talking about a small group and, my theory, you asked me to do a little prediction, is that, uh, you know, those 30 teams will, uh, those football teams will become nonprofit entities separate from the school. The school will own half of it on the balance sheet, half the equity. An owner from the sport, pro sports realm will come in and own the other half and build a front office with a GM and staff and coaching staff. And they'll run it like a for-profit entity, which will allow it to make more money. Ohio State and Alabama would make a lot more money if they ran like a for-profit football entity. We know that because the Cowboys are worth $7 billion, And Ohio State and Alabama have just as many eyeballs, if not more, that want to go to games and watch the teams and buy merchandise. So you're going to produce more money. You're going to pay an annual IP and licensing fee back to the school to use the marks, to use the stadiums, to operate as the school's football entity but it'll be separate. And that money paid annually for IP and licensing will fund the rest of athletics and the school will still own half the team on their balance sheet to have some control and the athletes will get paid. But we're not talking about my hometown team. We're not talking about UAB. I don't think they fit into that top 30. I think we're talking about 
the Alabamas and the Ohio States and the Clemsons and the Florida States. So if I'm a Notre Dame fan, if I'm an Ohio State fan, Alabama fan, and I'm totally into my team and I want my team to win the national championship, I'm following recruiting. I've been following recruiting for years. How, who are we signing? Who are we bringing in? Now the the NIL space is almost as important, the collective space, the transfer portal, and then NIL deals getting offered. You might not have an answer to this question, but some of these fans, they want to follow how things are going in the NIL space because they know how important it is. But there's no real way to track, is Clemson's NIL behind Oklahoma's NIL, uh, the collectives and this and that? Like, how do you sort through, like, the misinformation out there if you're a fan and kind of understand, okay, bottom line, how is the NIL or my collective going to help us win a national championship? You know, I, I think that Shannon Terry and on three have done a really great job going all in on NIL and the portal and having focus with their coverage. Um, and while a lot of people get repulsed by their valuations, they're the only ones doing it to the degree they are. And somebody's got to start somewhere. And I think they're doing a decent job. And I think it's only going to get better. Their newsletter that you can get daily has a deal tracker that's covering deals. Now, you don't have amounts. And you can't fully compare schools to schools, to your point. But it's a start. And I think that more news outlets are going to do that because that's the future. The portal and NIL are, as you said, what the fans care about most when it comes to following their school. And, uh, and so I, I think that's a source to go to, and that's what I go to. But I also think that this will evolve, and I think all the other great outlets like yours, there's going to be more and more coverage you're just going to want to do in the realm of the portal and NIL, but you're never going to fully be able to talk about the numbers unless it's not NIL, because that's protected by FERPA. And unless there's crazy antitrust exemptions given to the NCAA that mandate the sharing of all the information, I think we're going to be in the same place with NIL. And I don't think we're going to be able to stop some of the tampering and other concerns that the coaches have brought up. Well, Jim, last one for me, and, and we got to give the people what they want, which we haven't had for a long time. And that's the EA sports college football video game that I wasted so much time on as a, you know, and to start it off with that, when that game first came out, as a gamer, you were like, why isn't the name under the, you know, why am I having oh, to look yeah. up these jerseys? So they're facing a lawsuit now because of NIL deals being offered to students um, to appear in the upcoming title. So could you sort that out for us? Like, what are the, I mean, are we going to get the game back? What to offer as, as you've done so well with these predictions, what, what do you see happening with that whole case there? Yeah, I think we're going to get the game back. I don't think that we're going to have mass adoption by the athletes to put their likeness in the game unless the athletes can actually sit at the table and have somebody negotiate the piece of the pie that gets divided amongst them. You know, once again, one of the problems we have with everything that's a problem right now, not having regulatory uniformity, um, group licensing, whatever else, is we're trying to put too many, we're trying to, we're, we're caring about too many different interests in one. And it, it just can't, we can't appease everyone. It's not possible. 10,000 football players is a lot of football players. And that's what EA wants to have in the game. The NFL has 2,500 players in Madden. When you're dividing up a number amongst 25, having a five-figure check go to every athlete is possible. 
where you're dividing up an even smaller number amongst 10,000 athletes, dividing up the check is going to be, you know, three figures, which is what it is right now reportedly. And so we've got to think about like power five players bring a little more demand and those games are going to be played with those teams more in the game. They can track it now because it's all in the cloud. Then with FCS teams, maybe they get a little bit more. Maybe certain players get a, are a part of a package where they actually promote the game. Maybe there's different covers where players are on covers so that they want to be in it because they get extra money. That all exists at the pro level because one team in the NFLPA are aligned in putting the best possible deal together on behalf of the players with EA Sports Madden. But there's no NFLPA at the college level helping make that happen. And there can't really be a union. I've seen some people try to start putting unions together because they're not employees yet. But there can be somebody that organizes the athletes to make that deal better so that more of them are a part of it. So my prediction is 2024, it'll come back. A lot of people will be excited. A lot of the IP of the schools is going to be in the game. And, you know, Death Valley, it's going to look like Death Valley and the colors and the logos. And some athletes are going to sign off and have their likeness in it and others won't. And it'll just be a natural progression over time where eventually we'll have them all in there and it'll be what we want it to be. Very cool. Very good. All right. Well, I think uh, this was great. Great. Appreciate you joining us, Jim. Don't be a stranger. We'll have Bill uh, give you a call. We'll get another article on sportingnews.com as the NIL continues to take on, you know, more and more importance across the college landscape. Um, We appreciate all the information you brought today. Thank you to everyone listening to this podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys.